We're going to talk about salt and shiny today. Um, we're in between series these last couple weeks, in between messages. Next week, we begin a brand new series. Uh, we're going to be in the first book of John, um, and it's going to be called Small Book, Big Ideas. So we're starting that next week, and that's going to be awesome. So Passionate Jordan and I were both given an opportunity to speak on kind of what we wanted, what God had laid on our hearts, and what a challenging message Pastor Jordan had for us Last weekend, he was brave. He, he, he stepped into politics. I'm not quite that brave yet. So, um, but what, God, what God's really had on my heart is this. So I hope um, it really speaks to you and you learn something today. So salt and shiny is what I've called it. If you're somebody who takes notes, I'm just going to pray before we open up and get started. So Jesus, I just... Thank you as we gather here, as we gather to worship and just reflect on your greatness and on your great name. Father, and all the things that you've done for us, taking our place and just gifting us this right standing that we didn't earn and we could never have earned. Just opening up this relationship with you, Lord. So we worship you and we praise you for that today, Father. I thank you that we get to open up your word and learn about you and learn from it each and every day. I thank you that it is true and it's never changing and it's reliable. So Lord, today um, I just challenge the hearts of everybody here. I can't do that, only you can. So Holy Spirit, just breathe and infuse and fan into flame the very words of Jesus Christ that we're gonna look at this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So in a Peanuts cartoon, which I'm gonna show you up here, uh, Peppermint Patty was talking to Charlie Brown, who she calls Chuck, in this cartoon, and she says, guess what, Charlie? On my first day at school, I got sent to the principal's office, and it's your fault, you know. My fault, asked Charlie. How could it be my fault? Why do you say everything is my fault? And she said, you're my friend, aren't you, Charlie? You should have been a better influence on me. <laughs> So, I mean, Peppermint Patty is clearly, like always, trying to pass the buck, right, to Charlie Brown that day. But it really had me thinking that she's right. We should be a good influence on our friends and those who are around us. Each of us does have influence, whether you want to believe it or not, on someone. Someone. It could be others. It could be your family. It could be your friends. For better or worse, you have influence on someone. And Jesus has called us to be the salt and the light of the word, world, to be this preserving influence in society. So the Spirit's been really challenging me on this salt and light. It seems to come up in every single study I do, every devotion, every time I pray, it seems to come up. So I just thought that this was the best place that I could speak from today. So we're going to look at Matthew 5, uh, verses 13 to 16. Um, so to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, to be a disciple, a follower, some people would say, one who comes under and learns from Jesus. It's to be like an apprentice. The definition of an apprentice, if you don't know, is someone who provides help to a skilled worker in order to learn that trade himself. So for example, an apprentice would be a person who maybe uh, is working with an electrician, right? To learn the skills necessary to become a certified, a skilled electrician. 
And if we want to learn from Jesus, be this apprentice, because it changes how you think of it when I use that word. We need to look at what Jesus has spoken to us. And really, there's no better way or no, no better place to look than the Sermon on the Mount. And this is one of the longest recorded teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. It's 111 verses from Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7. And it's all about what it looks like to be an apprentice, a disciple of Jesus. John Stott, a famous theologian, wrote a study on the Sermon on the Mount that I actually read and went through and referred to it as the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever uttered. For it's his own description of what he wanted his followers to be and to do. So the Sermon on the Mount, it opens up in chapter 5. Uh, it's referred to as the Beatitudes. Many of you may know them. The first 12 verses, they're describing how Christians should live in reaction to the world around us. Then in, in verse 13, it transi transitions and begins to explain how a Christian lives in relationship to the world around us. So we're going to take a look at this. These two things that Jesus says that we are in relationship to the world that's around us. He says we're the salt and the light of the world. Hence my title, salty and shiny. So let's take a look at the scripture. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So before we kind of dig into the descriptives here, what he's saying, to the nitty-gritty of what it means to be salt and light, there's something that I want you to see here. Jesus calls us salt and light and goes on to say that our identity as these things takes place somewhere. That somewhere is the world. This tells us something very, very important about our discipleship to Jesus. The world is our setting for our discipleship. It's our stage in which our apprenticeship to Jesus is lived out. So as disciples, as apprentices of Jesus, we're seeking to live our lives out under the instruction of Jesus. And what this verse is telling us is the world is the place to do that. And I know it seems trivial, me bringing that up, but it tells us that Jesus saves us out of the world, but also into the world. So we need to pay attention with how we interact with it. There can be these two different extremes that I've seen um, how we relate to the world. So at the one end of the spectrum, we understand that Jesus calls us out of the world, but we fail to actually engage in the world. They fail to remember that Jesus saved us into the world as well. He doesn't call us to go and live in mountaintops all alone forever, growing out beards, living and picking out wild off of wild berries to live, or to just stick to yourself or to never leave your house. That's just not the call of the Christian life. The Bible begins in a garden and it moves to a city. It's not garden to garden, it's garden to city. Even heaven is described as a city. 
So there's this orientation in peop the people of God towards other people, towards large groups of people. Jesus saves us out of the world, but also into the world. But then there's the other end of the spectrum. We're so engaged and so immersed in the world that we forget that Jesus has saved us out of that. And over time, we begin to blend in. Almost unrecognizable. We kind of start to get overtaken by the world and the way that the world works. We need to remember that Jesus has saved us out of that world, but also into it. And so today, as we look at these two things, they're going to help us live our lives out in relationship to the world that's currently around you. So today, I got two points. One is our identity is disciples. That is who we are if we're followers of Christ. And then the second is going to be the mission of a disciple. So the first thing he calls us, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. I find this very interesting because Jesus doesn't begin by saying, go and do, like go and do, go and be salt. He begins by saying, you are. Because our identity is foundational to all that we do as Christians, not the other way around. It's not what we do that's foundational to our identity. It's who we are that is foundational to who we do, what we do. But we can forget this, right? Because every other facet of society tells you the opposite, right? If you want to belong to a club or a group or a social circle or a society or a religion, there are things that you have to do and then you get your status, your badge. You do the initiation, you have some kind of shared experience, uh, there may be rules that you need to keep, oaths that you need to swear, laws you need to obey, actions that you have to perform, and then you become a member. Then your identity changes. What you do precedes, creates who you are. But with Christianity, who we are precedes what we do. Who we are as Christians precedes anything we ever do as Christians. Jesus doesn't begin here with go and do. He begins with you are. Now, some of you <clears throat> listening, if you're anything like me some weeks, may come in today feeling heavy, feeling like you shouldn't be here. Maybe you shouldn't be tuning in at home. I did all these things this week. I failed at all these points. I made all these mistakes. And the enemy would absolutely love for you to feel like you just lost your membership badge. <laughs> but Jesus says that who you are precedes what you do. What you do does not qualify you. You have not been saved by your own works, but by Jesus's. You did absolutely nothing to contribute to your salvation. Not one little thing have you done to contribute to that. The good news, the amazing grace-filled news, is that it can't be taken away from you. Amen? It can't be taken away from you. And that should be exciting. Our identity comes through what Jesus has done, not what we have done. And that's why our first point I had said today is our identity is disciples, disciples of Jesus. And we will get to the second point of the mission here soon. So what does Jesus say we are? You are the salt of the earth. 
Now let's say you have never heard the Sermon on the Mount before, or maybe you've never heard this term, the salt of the earth phrase before. Well, like me, I went online and I Googled it, and most definitions that you will find when you Google it will say something like, it's a really good person. You know, gosh, that Bob, that Bill, he's the real salt of the earth. But that's great, and that's good, but that is not how Jesus is using it in this time. That's not how the first century audience would have understood it. Has anyone here ever watched Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat on Netflix? Oh, a few, okay, good. So it'll make you really hungry. I don't advise watching it before bedtime because you will have late night cravings for these like charcuterie boards and all these fancy meats and cheeses, but it's actually a really good show because it talks about the food. Um, and I watched intentionally because of this message, I watched the salt episode. So it talks about salt, tons about salt. Like I didn't even know there was that much information that you could know about salt. Hundreds of different kinds of salts. <clears throat> they show some of the places, they actually travel to where some of these different salts are located and what they do with them. You'll also learn that the way that salt gets used around the world is very different than how we use it more traditionally here. Um, it's not just used to season food. I'm, I'm sure many of you know that it's used to preserve food. Um, in the time that Jesus is speaking here, they didn't have a grinder that you could just shake and put salt onto your food. They used it to preserve their food. They had no refrigerator, right? So this was what preserved their food. There was salt. And in almost every known culture in the world, this episode told me, is how they've used, is what they've used to preserve food. And they talked about fish and soya and misu and beef jerky. Who doesn't love beef jerky? Um, all these things were preserved with salt. Salt prevents meat from rotting. It kills the bacteria. It's why the ancient world used it. In fact, what I did learn, which you're gonna learn now too, well maybe you already know this, the word salary actually comes from the ration of salt that would be given out for someone's labor because it was essential for life. Whole wars have been fought over salt. Now, I could get really nerdy because I read a little too much about salt preparing this message, but what you do need to know is our bodies need salt, okay? We, we wouldn't be alive without salt. We wouldn't have some of the best, most gorgeous foods in the world without salt. It's essential for life. So armed with this teeny bit of knowledge, because there's so much more that you could find out about salt, consider it again how Jesus calls us the salt in the earth. He's saying his disciples are preservative agents in the world. We are preservative agents in the world. Does that change it a little bit for you? By calling us the salt of the world, he's also implying something else about the world. That it has a tendency towards rotting. It's broken, it's decaying. And I know that's not a popular message and definitely not one that's being taught in the world. We're being taught that things are getting better and better, right? And it seems that we're learning more and more about everything except the human condition. Because if you take a look around, things are getting worse. The message from the Bible, 
from Genesis to Jesus is just that. It's a decay of society, a decay of the human soul. We see that God made the world perfect, but when sin entered it, immediately it became, became, became corrupt. And the sin cascades out through humanity to the point where God floods the world to get rid of it. And even after the flood, it came back, it began to decay and decay and decay again. Till eventually the whole earth has been corrupted by this decay. And all 929 chapters of the Old Testament, that is what it is about. This decay coming into the world. Things are not getting better. Things are getting worse. But the hope is Christ. The hope is Jesus. The hope is for God's disciples, Jesus' disciples, us, to be the salt of the world. To preserve this. That is what it says our identity is as disciples. Our very nature is that of salt. But he doesn't just call us the salt of the world. He calls us the light. You are the light of the world. And just as our identity as salt tells us the state of this world, so does the identity of light. Years ago, I was on a business trip and I visited a museum for human rights in Winnipeg. It's a gigantic building if you've ever been there. I'm pretty sure it's like the tallest point in all of Manitoba. Like it's, it's a huge building. But what's so interesting that made me think of this this week is that when you go into this, you start in the basement of the building. It outlines human history and you start down in this dark bottom and you slowly make your way up through the whole building to the very, very top and you're in this giant glass, beautiful lookout. It's basically saying that as humans were illuminating, getting smarter, becoming more and more enlightened and ascending and ascending and ascending. I mean, there's a lot of parables to the Tower of Babel there that aren't even funny, but the Bible would disagree with this architectural plan. Right? In Colossians 1.13, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what the Bible says about the world, a domain of darkness. And then in Philippians 2.15, it says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, it says those who are in Christ, redeemed by Christ, are now children of light. And Revelations, opening letters to the church over and over, it describes the church as a candle stand for the light. We are the light of the world. According to Jesus, our new identity, according to the New Testament, according to the scriptures, our identity as those who have been rescued and redeemed by Christ is that of light. And what I find so crazy and truly baffling about this us being the light of the world is the title that he gives us is actually a title that he claims for himself. In John 8:12, it says, I am the light of the world. The statement, this statement ruffles many feathers because Jesus is stating that he is the light, the single light that will get us to where we are going. So to use an illustration, when I was younger, I went into a fun house. 
Not to be mistaken with a haunted house because I hate being scared. So I thought I was safe going into this, this uh, fun house. Anyways, it was creepy. There were clowns, there were like weird mirrors, weird noises, all these different things. And I could handle that, random noises and like, just weird, weird stuff. But towards the, very, towards the middle and to when you get to the end, it goes pitch black dark. And there's a maze and you need to try to get out of it. And I was pretty young, so it freaked me right out. All the kids are screaming, right? Like having fun, but I'm terrified. I want to get out. I need to get out. It's pitch black dark. Anyways, I'm feeling my way along the walls, trying to get out. And every once in a while, you see like the faintest light down the way. And I'm following it because it's my only hope to get out, right? I'm following that little light. Well, I get to that light and the first light I see, it's just one of those candle lights that are flickering um, on the wall. It's not my way out. And then I saw another one that was much brighter and on the floor. So I thought, okay, these are like those emergency like track. No, it was a headlamp on a worker who was doing something on the ground. Because even the smallest amount of light when you're in the dark makes a difference, right? Eventually, I saw the light. I saw the main entrance to get out and I'm relieved and I go through it. And what I'm trying to, like, to illustrate in this dark time with my lights is he is the light that leads us out. We live in a society that's looking to hundreds of thousands of dying candles and headlamps, right, to get out. And Jesus takes this claim as his own. There are other lights, but they'll fail us. Jesus takes the claim and says that he is the light of the world the light, the only light that will lead us out. And if you're listening right now and you're chasing some of these secondary lights, right? Um, maybe God's trying to awaken you, like really awaken your heart to realize your need for him because you can today call on him. You can today, whatever situation it is, whatever dark that you're in, and he will be the light of your world and he will lead you out of that if you'll let him. So again, notice in John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If we follow him, not only will we be our, will be our light, he'll be our light. We will have his light as well. The light becomes our new identity as followers. We are to go and do what light does guide others to Christ, expose sin, reveal what is hidden. Those are the things that light does. And it's our identity, right? We are the salt and the light of the world. And along with that identity, out of that identity comes our mission, the mission of a disciple. So many authors and scholars have pointed over the years that the method of Jesus's discipleship is pretty simple. He calls us people to follow him. And in following him, we are with him. They spend time with him. And in turn, they become like him. And then they can go and do what he did. And this is our goal. To spend time with Christ and to go and do so we can become like him. We become like those who we spend time with, right? Isn't that what people say? You know, those five or six people, you're, you're probably a lot like them. 
You become who you spend time with. Then the Holy Spirit does this inner transformation in us, and then we go and we can do these things. Take on that identity that is his light and go and be the light as well. Jesus is the light of the earth, but we become that when we follow him. Jesus rightly understood that he is the salt of the earth, the preservative agent in the world. That's Jesus, the one who died in our place, who appeased the wrath of God, that took on a guilty title, gifted us a new right standing before God, invited us to sit at the table in his house. He is the preserver. But as we follow him, he calls us the salt in the earth as well. We become like him. We are only the salt in the earth because he is. We are only the light of the world because he is. It's only in the capacity of a relationship in communion with him that we can do any of these things. We don't have it all self-contained within us to do it. It's his that we have borrowed and we're reflecting it back out into the world. Any salt we have is his. Any light we have is his. He gifts us this new identity and then tells us to go and do something with it. We, his church, God's plan for the perseverance and the illumination of the world in order that people can find their way to him. When he calls us the salt and the light of the world, he's not just calling us to season the world and just be nice people. He's calling us out of that salt shaker and across the whole earth, shaking us out, spreading us out into neighborhoods, into townhouse complexes, into social circles, workplaces, um, professional sports, professional associations, You are the preservative agents right where you are. Be the salt and light right where you are, good or bad. The world on a moral or political level is decaying. We are the hope. We are the agents that can bring change into that. God has placed us where we are in the situations that we are in to be those agents. So yes, salt preserves and fends off decay. But salt also heals and soothes. It has a medicinal value. Salt brings flavor, like we talked about, and enhances food. And it only works when it's out of the salt shaker. See, that's the trick. Salt is this extremely stable compound that doesn't actually lose its saltiness. Salt is always salt. That is, unless it's immersed in or diluted with large amounts of water. And light serves this primary purpose of seeing, and the unaided human eye can detect a light source as small as a flame, of a, candle, a flame from a candle up to a mile to one and a half miles away, which means light is extremely difficult to hide the brighter it is. Unless, of course, it's covered or snuffed out. All that is to say, when salt has no taste and light can't be seen, it's worthless. It's not doing anything. You see, as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be different in all the wonderful ways that he was different. His words were humble. They were interesting. They were sustainable, they were timeless, they were true. 
2,000 years later, they still haven't lost their flavor. And his qualities still shine like the sun. People are drawn to him just as we are drawn out of darkness by light. He loved people. He prayed for those who persecuted him and ultimately died for the very people who mistreated him. He was joy-filled because he knew what lay beyond that moment. And that's what he's calling us to be. That's who he's calling us to be. So I wanted to get really practical with this at the very end, which made it interesting and challenging for myself this week as I asked myself these questions. And I really hope you'll take the time to ponder this text this week or longer at some of the implications of what this new identity we have in Christ really looks like in your life. But I have some questions for you. Who do you know who is looking for light from a dying candle? Because you are their light. What injustice do you notice? You don't need to put those up yet. What injustice do you notice? Because you're the salt. You're the preservative agent. What needs do you see around you? Salt and light. What do we know that is, who do you know that is yet to follow Christ or even hear about him, hear the gospel? You're that light. Our identity informs us in what we do as disciples. You are the salt and the light of the world. He's already commissioned us to this. Some of us are here waiting for this audible thing of like, what am I supposed to be doing? I'm telling you. We are the salt and the light of the world. Where can you be that? Where in your life, in your environment, in your, whatever's happening in your situation, where can you be that? Where have you been hiding the light? How have you been hiding in that salt shaker? The scriptures call us, we are meant to spread out. We are meant to move, light moves. We are his workmanship. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And in Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The call of a disciple is to right relationship with God through Christ. It's a call to the enjoyment of God that comes from obedience to his will and called to invite other people to the same thing. We exist to know God and out of that make him known. This is why as a church we partner with other churches, other like local ministries, uh, global missionaries, church plants. Why Martinsville is so important to us. There is a joy that comes out from knowing Christ. And if you've tasted it, like you've really, really tasted it, how can you keep it to yourself? How? We shouldn't be able to help that we want the whole world to, to taste it too. Everyone that's around us. Jesus tells his listeners that they are the salt and the light of the earth. 
that it cannot be hidden. They are called, we are called to influence those who are around us. The faith that, the faith that Jesus forms in us compels us to do that. It doesn't just remain inside of us. It should overflow from us and shine God's light into the darkness of the world. Because I don't know about you, but the smallest amount of light makes a difference in the dark. Who can you be that light for? The worship team can come up. And the reward? Seeing more people come to faith. Do you believe that that's a good reward? Because the greatest reward I have ever had in my life is seeing people I prayed for come to faith. Like, there is honestly nothing like it. It's like I'm living out the purpose that he has made and saved me for is the greatest reward I could ever have. Better than anything. Living out your identity as this salt and light and all in obedience to God, right? It never goes without reward. So as I close, I want us to consider today what it means to be a disciple here and now. So here in 2021, here in your unique environments, because everybody's world looks different, and ask how you can be the salt and the light. Take a look around you. Pay attention when you're driving in your workplaces. Are there people who are hurting? Are there people who have needs? And as we heed this call, God promises that he will bring about his kingdom. It's going to come. The darkness can't overtake the light. Jesus has a plan for the whole world, and we get to play a central role in that. That is a gift. So now the questions will come up, and we're going to go into a time of reflection like we've done a few times in the last couple of months. Uh, the questions that I had kind of said, I just narrowed them down a little bit. And they're going to play... Um, for a bit, just instrumentals, and just reflect. Maybe write these down. I've been praying over these every single day this week since I wrote them. It's amazing what God will reveal to you when you do that. Maybe write them down, look at them later, pray about it right now, and then we're going to go into a time of worship, and then I'll come back and wrap it up. So again, you are the salt and the light of the world. Where can I be that? Who do I know that is looking for light from a dying candle? Could you be their light? Could you show them Jesus? What injustice do you notice around you? What needs do you see around you? Do you know anybody who doesn't know Christ, doesn't know the gospel? In what ways are you hiding your light under the basket or hiding in the salt shaker? How great is your faithfulness to me, to us. Thank you, Father. Lord, we live in a complicated world, and many times it would be easy just to pack it all in and disappear to some remote location, but that just isn't the life for us. It's not the life that you saved us for, or the lifestyle that we're called to, Father. I'm so grateful that I'm yours. We are your beloved church, Father, and we want to live out as this salt and light of the earth that we talked about today, Father. So help us, Jesus, do this. Do this in our environments, 
in our work, in our home, in our school, in our sports, in our ins and our outs and under and above. Come Holy Spirit and just restore and refresh us each and every day, Father. Refresh that joy of that salvation within us again, Father. You know, like we're just on fire and we can't stop talking about you. Don't let us shy away from this calling, Father. We don't want to stop. We just need you to refuel, renew, refocus. We need you for that, Father. You are our strength. You are the salt. You are the light. We love you and we trust you, Jesus. And I pray this in your exalted and matchless name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.